You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Headlines. And I'm your host, Darren Nichols. With with us today is Eric Foster, the Group Director of Strategy, Business Development for Banks Company and Cannabis Practice Group. Welcome, Eric. How are you? I'm good, Darren. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then while you're doing that, clear up some of the misconceptions about marijuana. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So I'm a Michigan native, born and raised in Detroit, went to Benedictine High School, went to Oakland University, a proud Spartan in heart and all things in life. Then father of two sons. I won't hold the Michigan State against you. Well, I don't hold the Michigan against you. So it's all good. <laughs> I got family that went to Little Blue too, so I love them still. I understand. <laughs> I father of two sons. Um, one of my sons unfortunately passed away in 2013. Jamil, who was the light not only of my life, but of a lot of people's lives, a great young man. And my other son, Xavier, who is now 20, 21, actually, and is a student up at Michigan State. So he followed in his brother's tradition. Uh, let's see, I've been in the corporate sector for 12 years, well, actually 15 years in healthcare, human resource solutions, as well as business process outsourcing, managing customer service reps and sales reps. And then 12 years as an entrepreneur, owning two companies, Foster McCollum White and Associates with my second ex-wife and Urban Consulting Group, doing political consulting, governmental relations and lobbying. And then now with Banks and Company, this is my second go-round with Banks and Company, which is a African-American-owned firm out of Southfield, Michigan. My boss and good friend, we've known each other for about 30 years, Lloyd Banks. And we do work in the governmental relations arena. We're a public affairs firm. We do work in the governmental relations arena, coalition building, uh, strategic planning and strategic communications for different clients. We do a lot of work in the cannabis arena in our practice group, the cannabis practice group. And in that segment, we do work with license with people and businesses that are going for licensing. We work with them through the licensing process. We help them identify operational structure, supply chain and vendor integration to help them get their business off the ground the right way. We also work on their behalf in terms of governmental relations and community engagement, getting local communities to opt in to and crafting what their ordinances are to allow medical rec- medical and eventually recreational marijuana within their city borders for commercial operations. And then also lobbying the state on policy relating to both sectors of the industry the medical and the recreational. So you're right. There's been a lot of concern or question about what happens now that Michigan has medical and recreational marijuana. A few things though. One, with both laws, no community is automatically opted in. Language in 
the medical marijuana law in Section 205 and in the recreational law, Article 4, 6, and 10, addresses how communities can opt in or opt out of either of the two laws to allow commercial operations in their in their jurisdiction. But no one starts off as you're automatically in. So that's one misperception. A lot of people have thought that with the passage of recreational, that a business can just open up shop and apply for state licensing. The second thing is neither of the two commercial laws nor the MMA, the Michigan Marijuana Act of 2008, allow for use in public. So you're not going to have, as you may have in some states where there's public outdoor consumption that's not allowable inside of Michigan. Then also just setting up commercial clubs or activities, those aren't allowable under any of the laws. So you can't just set up a social club or smoke shop or anything of that sort that allows for those sorts of activities to take place. And then on both laws, you do have the ability for individual use on the medical side. You can get a medical marijuana card to grow either for yourself based on having a qualifying health condition. And it's a four-step process. You have to have one of right now 32 various health ailments, including Alzheimer's, autism, cancer, other health conditions, glaucoma, and you have to have your physician, primary care specialist, validate the health issue. You then have to have a second doctor validate and write the prescription, which then you send off to the state for the state to review the records and the prescription referral for a card, which could take 21 to 45 days for approval, And then if approved, then you have a medical marijuana card and you can grow up to 12 plants for yourself. Also, there's caregiver option where a person can become a registered caregiver, grow for themselves and also support five other patients that need medical marijuana. On the recreational law, the MRTMA, you can have adult use where you can grow and process up to 12 plants for yourself at home. Now you can't take, you can have 2.5 ounces in your possession if you leave home on you, but you can't use it outside of your home. You can't smoke outside of your home or use the other products. You can process for yourself, which is an interesting wrinkle because processing requires commercial equipment, but you can in your residence bring in commercial equipment and process and you can gift to a friend. So someone comes to your home and you want to gift some of what you've grown to them, you can do that. Now, the even with that, though, until the commercial recreational facilities open up, technically the transaction activity for you to get marijuana in your hands, that's still illegal. It's illegal. Yeah, sure. Now, once you get it, then you're legal. But that transaction to get it, so it's a gray area. Okay. And so, where are we now? What what is uh where where are we at in terms of recreational marijuana? And um, 
how is the legal how is the um, process moving forward? So there's a few things that are going on. One, on the state level, the state has convened work groups to address setting up administrative rules for how they will actually manage the regulation, application, and compliance for recreational marijuana on a commercial level. Also, probably will continue to tweak the medical as with the governor's new executive order that removed the medical marijuana licensing board so that their function is handled administratively and also setting up a new bureau to work with and manage both under the licensing and regulatory affairs department of the state of Michigan. Separately, though, communities have a choice to make as well. And what you're seeing with communities right now, you already had communities that had opted out of the medical marijuana law, which was close to 100. But you're now seeing communities also opt out of the recreational law at a significantly rapid rate. Right now, per our database, and we keep track on a regular basis weekly of where communities stand, we're at about 422 communities that have opted out of either the recreational commercial law or the medical law or both. That actually includes 25 communities that are allowing medical marijuana commercial facilities, but have opted out of the recreational. And you only have one community that's opted in for the recreational law low in, I believe it's in Livingston County. Okay. So they didn't opt in for the medical, they opted in for the recreational. But then they still have to wait until the state structure is set in place before any licensees can apply or attempt to set up operation in their community. Okay. And so talk a little bit about um, what this legislation means for minority groups, particularly in places like Detroit. Um what does this sort of bring about in terms of, I mean, you talked about, you know, places that are opting out um, and all of these things. What, what does this sort of, what does this sort of mean? Well, it means a few things. So right now within the current structure on the medical side, there's no provisions that are built in that address or work on the issue of equity and equity being opportunities for disaffected communities, minorities, other socioeconomically challenged communities to have both employment and ownership opportunities and technical assistance to help with that. California passed a California Cannabis Equity Act, SB 1292, in 2018, which from a state level codifies activities to bring people into the medical and recreational commercial structure that are disaffected communities and also provide support to local communities. Now, you have some local communities that have set up in their ordinances, though, activities to try to address those sorts of ills and create those pathways. Grand Rapids is probably the best example, and our company worked with the city commission, the city manager, the city attorney, attorney Nita Hitchcock, the planning director, Suzanne Schultz, 
the senior planner, Landon Bartley, economic development director, to set up what they have, which is a MyVita, Michigan Voluntary Equitable Development Agreement, which has spelled out goals for ownership from, and because in Michigan we can't use ethnicity because of the so-called Civil Rights Initiative in 2006, but we can use socioeconomic and geographic disadvantaged designations. So there's those designations, which hopefully help to increase ownership potential out of African-American, Latino-American, and other communities. There's also hiring goals and procurement goals to spend money with businesses that are micro local business enterprises or their small business diversity programming. And you have a few other cities that have opted in for those sorts of language in their ordinance. We've helped Taylor, Pontiac, Sturgis, Douglas on the western side of the state. Unfortunately, though, a lot of communities that opted in, Detroit is an example, the Kalamazoo's, Battle Creeks of the world, Lansing, Flint, those aren't part of their ordinances. And partly it was because a misreading in the medical side that said, They didn't know if they could put in extra language to address additional rules and requirements or regulatory guidelines. What we've been able to help through our legal team internally is help people see how they can do those things. We just couldn't get to those communities in time (laughs) before they did. Now, in the recreational law, it does allow for at least an addressment in, I believe it's in Article 9, that talks about creating from the state level strategies to identify and create pathways for ownership and employment and diversity activities. Additionally, in the recreational law, there is a caveat for not holding prior marijuana offenses against a applicant. Now, we, though, can go farther. And so what we've been doing, working with a coalition of organizations, including the Minorities for Medical Marijuana, which is a national trade group and their Michigan chapter to promote getting African-Americans into the industry and other people of color, along with the Lake Nuevo NAACP and other activists, is to try to identify pathways to address ownership opportunity and how you can get in. And how 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 does that look on a national level? Um because obviously we're we're looking at the what's going on in the state in terms of minority participation in this industry. But how does the industry look in terms of the other states that have uh dealt with the recreational side? Or and the medical side for for that matter. Right, because we have 32 now states in District of Columbia with medical and 11 with recreational in District of Columbia. Not good. Okay. Just to be functionally real. California's done some things with respect to the Equity Act that they passed last year that's starting to move in the right direction. And individual adopting cities, Oakland, Sacramento, California City, San Francisco, put in those sorts of local requirements. Then you have some places like Massachusetts where they have 
a different path, but it's community benefits. So building in where the licensee has to commit to community activities, hiring goals and others. So you're saying if we had a stronger CBA in Detroit, that 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 potentially could have happened here. Uh, Exactly. Yes. Those are things that could happen and should be a part of when communities are thinking about. A lot of the time, though, for the local communities and state governments, there's still gray area of understanding how the different laws can be structured, what's allowable and not allowable. And so and the industry has not been really good at engaging government. It tends to operate in two veins on the national level. One, there's the heavy push for recreational because of the freedom of use and similar to alcohol, tobacco, et cetera, just free access, which tends to diminish the medical side once these states opt in first for medical and then recreational. But that's where the drive is. The second aspect is trust us. We're going to do good. The problem is that in a number of the long-term adopting states like Colorado, Oregon, Washington State, California, the majority of the local communities have not opted in for any of the commercial businesses to operate in their borders. There's a disconnect where the industry has not, like other industries, learned how to engage government to help craft good policy that can benefit both lanes and also create opportunities for diversity, for local hiring, for investment in those local communities. There's this just kind of free caveat of tax money will happen. But without guide rails, without structure, good things just don't happen. As my grandmother always said, if you want things to happen a certain way, what's your plan to allow for them to happen that way? And my grandmother, actually both my grandmothers are pretty smart women, so. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And so let's let's take a step back and, and deal with some of the benefits that folks um, see out of, you know, marijuana. Um, and I'm going to use myself as an example. Okay. Um, I, I don't smoke. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be quite honest. However, um, as many of folks have have gotten in their email, um, I have received, um, you know, um, email about oils. I've seen email about um, the cream and things like that. And so, you know, in terms of full disclosure, folks you know, who have been listening, um, they know that I've had a stroke and I've, I'm dealing with several issues in terms of, uh, in terms of my legs. Right. And so how can, and because this is a question that, that I have wrestled in my head, how can the, how can the cream or any of these other entities help me and, potentially make me feel a little bit better? That's a great question. So you have a number of studies that have taken place, research universities, healthcare organizations, hospital systems that have taken the risk 
of doing research because, of course, unfortunately, with this being a Schedule One narcotic, there is concerns about medical research. But there have been studies that have been done to demonstrate actual health benefits from usage, wherein the use has addressed and helped issues of joint pain, issues of healing and stimulating positive tissue growth. There's been studies that have shown positive impacts on epilepsy, on autism, on Alzheimer's, on depression and other mental health ailments, and on physical ailments. So there are data points that demonstrate. Now, here's where we have to get to the next step. Michigan and other states, sometimes in the rush for now the recreational, it tends to leave the medical continuing research behind. And so under the caregiving model where you have people who care, but they're not medical professionals, it's a trial and error testing. We need to ensure that we have the guide rails statewide to help continue the advancement and study, which is one of the things we're trying to address in the Commercial Cannabis Craft Act, to put those people who do care about the medical side in a position that they can partner with the research universities and healthcare organizations so that we continue the real study. Now, I do just from a consulting vantage point and talking to people that have health ailments, serious issues, and have been using medical marijuana, I can vouch for this does work. But we need continuing research, no different than any other pharmaceutical medicine, to allow us to identify more direct uses and more targeted applications so that there can be applications that can assist with your rehabilitation or that can assist with someone who is dealing with early signs of Alzheimer's or dementia. If we don't do that, we're really missing a great opportunity. But we have to. That has to be a significant part. And and in terms of the the research side, what will it take to bring that research here? Or is it just really a matter of political will? Because, you know, are we just sort of going through this um, game because the legislation passed in, in November and so we have to kind of do it now, um, but there's no real political will to kind of get it done and to do it. So it's not so much a political will. It's so much more of a just understanding of how can we set up a system that dually allows for the growth of commercial, but also the companion growth of medical. Part of the way that you have to do that is with the caregiving role, which those are the individuals who care about the medical side. But as an individual person, they're not going to be able to enter into agreements to do studies and research, but create a path for them to become commercial businesses. And then from a state law vantage point, codify those businesses and the research entities so that there can be that continuing focus on developing specialized strands 
and products. If we don't have and it's not so much like we say, it's not so much political will, but it's lack of just knowing that those are things that can or should be put in place to help push. You have to push. If you want the research to continue, if you want those advancements and those benefits to come health wise, trial and error independently the way it is today isn't going to get there. There have to be intentional actions and have to be persons who think a little bit out of the box, but policy wise on how do you set those up in ways that can allow for that. Okay. And so you have dealt with, um, and you talked a little bit earlier about folks um, opting out on the recreational side. And what do you see in terms of other areas that may be opting out of this? And and what what will it ultimately look like in terms of rec- on the recreational side, what Michigan will look like? So that's another great question. And a lot of times people think that for the communities that have opted in, the 140 so far, that is primarily the urban communities. Actually, proportionally, the urban communities are roughly 38 percent. It's the rural communities who see this as an opportunity to restart commerce and business growth in their communities. But with the recreational push, what we're seeing and I believe we're going to see is not only more communities opting out, but very limited opportunities for recreational to exist because it's not enough just to say there'll be commerce and there'll be tax revenue. The industry, as we've learned, by itself has not figured out how to engage government. That's where we come in with our clients. How do you work through the meetings, the presentation of information, the education, the patience, but also understanding you've got a 10 to 15 year window where you have to do proof of concept. So you're going to have to accept a certain level of regulation, a certain level of structure that you may not want. But if you want that local community to opt in, well, you really have no choice. So how do we craft a win-win? By itself, the industry, the true believers, they're struggling with that. And so all that does is tend to push communities to say no. And it's not about just what the voters pass this. You're lobbying and building a relationship to show a value add to a community. You're selling them on this. It's not a simple process. It takes time and it takes patience, but it also takes pragmatism. Okay. And I know you got you're short on time and I'm not going to hold you too much longer, but I got two more questions for you. Can Um, Can we pause real quick? What I wanted to get to is sort of the um, parameters around THC and driving. Um, Discuss that and what it will mean for potential arrest for people in Detroit and folks who are 
driving dirty. Um, and what, as a consultant, you all can do to try to facilitate um, those kinds of triggers to make sure that it's not as punitive as it should be on people of color or people in general? That is a great question. And unfortunately, there is no easy answer today because you have a few problems. The first problem is, unlike alcohol, there is no test that can readily identify where your intoxication level is at that moment. And if your intoxication level is based on usage immediately or preceding the arrest or stop, or if it's usage over a period of time, say over eight, eight hours, 10 hours, 24 hours. So it's going to be a lot of guessing. And so part of what has to be done with the tax dollars that come along with the industry when communities do opt in is putting dollars into training for other cognitive ways to assess where a person may be. But at the same time, also understanding now, because people are able to smoke at home and they are able to have up to two and a half ounces in their person when they're driving, when they're walking, as long as they're not using, but they're going to probably at times smell like they just did because if they left home and they're driving, it's going to be a lot of education. It's going to, I hate to say it's going to be a lot of trial and error, but it's going to be a lot of trial and error. You're going to get in some communities, you're going to get a lot of arrest In other communities. You're not going to get any. It is unfortunately right now that gray area that we're in, which also on a similar side is on the employment part because you have issues of employment and concerns about workplace safety and hiring individuals either that have true medical marijuana conditions and the usage and its impact on their cognitive judgment while they're at work or the recreational user and their impacts on cognitive. So you have a number of employers, contractors that are saying we're rather not hire people, or if we know that that's an issue, we'd rather not to err on the side of liability from our actuarial assessments. We're Those are two areas, the driving and the workplace and criminal and policing. We're in a gray area, and it's not an easy answer. Yes, and, and, and in the workplace, talk a little bit about, because recently there was a story in the paper that talked about um that employers could still fire um workers who were caught um with marijuana in their system. So talk a little bit about that as well. Yes. So the the problem that comes up is because on a federal level this is still a schedule 1 narcotic even though on a state level it is legal. And on a medical side you have documentation and prescription for because it's not considered the same as other pharmaceutical medicines. It does get treated in an area where the employer can err on the side of firing 
for usage and has a good likelihood of being able to win in court. One of the things that we're going to have to do, to your point, you asked where from a consulting vantage point, companies like us can be a part of the solution, is helping to bridge the education between employers, local governments, law enforcement, and citizens. It takes the four way, it, it's basically four legs of the, of the table. And you have to ensure that each leg understands the other components. Employers that are willing to take the time to understand the difference between the recreational and the real medical user, at least you can get some leeway there for the medical user because it is a prescription. It is documentation that supports why they're using this. So there's opportunity there. Law enforcement, same thing. Understanding what the rules are that people can do and the fact that you're going to have situations that a year ago were easily identified as a criminal activity, but now are not a criminal activity. And how do you make sure that your police officers, your sheriffs have that understanding? But then on the citizen side, you have to be respectful of both the workplace and respectful of that law enforcement officer. So you can't just, because you get stopped, go in and say, well, this is just my rights and you all are harassing. You have to meet in the middle. Good common sense practices on all sides can help minimize the negative impacts that can come from those law enforcement encounters or on the workplace. If you're an employee who's got medical marijuana and you're using it for health conditions, Talk with your employer. Give them the documentation that demonstrates the why. And if your employer on the other side, be open, willing to hear and see. There's going to be a lot of education that has to take place. And that's one thing that I see that's missing right now in the industry and across the state is that level of cross-competency education so that all sectors understand where we're starting from. The quicker we get to that in communities like Michigan, in communities like Detroit, Grand Rapids, um, Marquette, Traverse City, et cetera, the quicker we get there, the quicker we can minimize negative outcomes. But we've got to start immediately now. And we're, late in my opinion. Okay. And so what do you see out of the recreational shops in Detroit? I mean, you're you're talking about a community that has the green shops and the and the green lights all over the real neighborhoods, right? Yes. But you see in places in California or Denver um, where the shops are upscale, right? Um, do you see it becoming more like the that side of Detroit, or do you see a time where there will be um, a recreational bar um, that's like La Casa um, that is 
the weed bar that is downtown um, for people to enjoy what they want to do in terms of smoking or like a hookah bar right. um, and, and that sort of thing. So talk to me a little bit about that. Okay, that those are great questions and great points. So in terms of the public consumption and public establishments, that's not going to happen. The Michigan legislature would be, have to be the one to pass those sorts of laws to allow for that. That is not happening. Then local communities want, if Michigan was to pass that, then local communities would. Now there is a provision in the recreational law that does allow local communities to say if they choose that they could from a zoning vantage point. But trust me, that's not happening in any local community that opts in. That's not going to happen. They're not going to allow that. And, and why not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, let, let's, let's just be real. The industry is in a 10 to 15 year proof of concept where it formerly was a complete illegal activity in the minds of elected officials, law enforcement, regular citizens. You're not going to just get benefit of the doubt. That is not how any of this works. So it's going to have a higher level of regulation and a higher limitation of access. So be it if it's Detroit, if it's Grand Rapids, outside of maybe Ann Arbor, it's not going to happen any other place, but that's okay. Take the time to demonstrate the good behavior and work through showing to the local elected officials, the planning commissions, the planning departments, the zoning departments, and the city council or county commissioners or city commissioners or board of trustees. And in time, you'll get there. But patience can't force this. That's one part. With respect to how the commercial recreational facilities will look, the retail shops, or the other businesses, the growers, the processors, the safety testing labs, all of that comes down to add-ons in zoning. So Grand Rapids probably, not, once again, I hate to use that as an example, but it's an example because we've been working with them. They have put additional guide rails for septet planning, which is a sort of environmental and policing planning and how you lay out your facility. They have additional cold aspects for maintenance, odor mitigation, for facade that are requirements. So if the local community adopts those sorts of additional regulations, then you will have facilities that look like the facilities in Ann Arbor and in the West Coast. But it's incumbent on those communities to put that into their zoning laws, their zoning ordinances. And here's the funny thing. A lot of communities may think that they can't. They may think that somehow the MMFLA or the MRTMA prohibits them from doing that. No, neither one has a prohibition on the allowance of zoning decisions. Zoning decisions and zoning related requirements, including 
building and code compliance are all left in the hands of the local community. So the local community then has to take that proactively and say, we want you here, but we want you here in a certain way. Okay. Um, And before we get out of here, I want you to take another little step back and tell us about uh, the work uh, Banks and Company has been doing in um, uh, Benton Harbor in terms of education. And then give me your final thoughts on this whole recreational marijuana piece. Okay. Well, uh, that's a good point. So a lot of people tend to think because of the work we do that this is the only area. Uh, We do work with the American Petroleum Institute. We've been a consultant to them statewide for the past six going on seven years on workforce diversity and initiatives. But in Benton Harbor, we – Various members of the school board and community reached out to us because of work that I previously did with a company that I was a partner in, Foster McCullum, White and Associates with DPS and with Detroit Parent Network on engagement and understanding your consumer audiences in a different way and aligning your programming and activities to more of a consumer focus for parents and the students. And so based on that, they asked us to come in and make a presentation on how could we help them as they're coming out of the state oversight, develop a strategic plan that can give them a five-year roadmap of really changing paradigms. For example, changing the assessment modeling of how we look at student growth so that it's not just focused on a test or those different testing components, but that it includes extracurricular activities, exposure to cross-cultural opportunities, mentorships, school attendance, grades, what happens in the classroom, the same things that we used to be measured on, Darren, when we were kids. So bringing that back in, developing strategic partnerships so that they can have an infusion of activities and exposures from kindergarten all the way through. We know now with our kids as parents, our kids grow and process at a much quicker rate. So they need to be exposed to activities and things starting early, starting in kindergarten. So, Just last night, the board met and passed a resolution to recommend to their CEO to hire us. So we're working through the components there with respect to what that looks like and what and how quickly we'll be able to go in and start work. But we hope to be able to, over a four to five month period, put a realistic, solid educational plan for the district so that they can start to change the paradigm. And the way that we kind of liken it to is with you being a Wolverine, you know Michigan basketball struggled after Fisher left for years. A lot of good folks were brought in to coach, but couldn't get it together. Same with us as Spartans with football. We struggled from Duffy Doherty's in until now. But it took finally hiring the right person with a plan and then not getting upset after a couple years that were a little bit of a struggle, but saying we're going to stay dedicated to the plan. And now Michigan basketball is our number one 
challenger in <laughs> the conference. And then on the football side, Michigan State football is right there with Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State as one of the cream of the crop in the conference. But it took dedication and willingness to say, let's put a plan in play, have the ability to modify, but we're going to stay the course. And that's what we hope to be able to bring to Benton Harbor. Okay. And your final thoughts on recreational marijuana. So recreational marijuana, what I hope to see is the not the Walmartization of Michigan and this industry, but a dual continuing focus to ensure that you have two viable sectors, medical and recreational, that we can hopefully through the work we're doing with the legislative package, increase opportunities for minority ownership, for socioeconomically challenged communities to plug in, as well as create real partnerships with communities and this industry, because that's the only way you're going to get communities to be willing to say yes is a willingness to partner and demonstrate good behavior, demonstrate willingness to invest in parks and rec, willingness to invest in infrastructure in those communities, do things beyond just what you're assessed on taxes. That's the only way you're going to get communities to say, we'll give you a shot. Okay. Well, thank you, Eric. I appreciate you coming on Beyond Headlines and speaking with us about recreational marijuana and all of these things and uh, tell Lloyd Banks that I said hello. Uh, you talked about 30 years with him. I've known that gentleman for over 40 years. Wow, okay. <laughs> I, I, I've known him long enough to call him Boopy. So, you know, everybody doesn't know that's his nickname. Okay. So so I can call him Boopy. So I don't I don't even call him Lloyd. I, <laughs> he, he will always be Boopy to me. Mm-hmm. I took him for his driver's test when he was 16 years old. Wow. And so, you know, um, I have a longstanding uh, relationship with uh, the the banks and company, and uh, I wish you well in all well, the things you, that you, you do. And we will sign off for another edition of Beyond the Headlines and